Take out your Bible. Evan is going to read for us from 1 Peter chapter 5. We have two Sundays left in 1 Peter today and one more. So 1 Peter chapter 5, and he's going to give us verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Thank you. Preaching to God's people is a joyful privilege. And yet, today, this privilege of preaching feels extra heavy, maybe even a little uncomfortable for me, and that's because our text is one of the primary scriptures that teach us about the work of an elder. And so, in a very real way, I am not preaching to the choir, I am preaching to the preacher, which feels a little uncomfortable. Our friends, the Orcuts, you just met Kara a moment ago, we are in their missional community, and um, they recently uh, got themselves a puppy. Now, I think the Orcuts like me and like the Martinson family well enough, but let's just paint an illustration as we begin this. Let's say that the Orcuts are leaving town and they ask, the Martinsons, and primarily me, to give some care to their dog. Now, let's say that I make the dog sleep outside, and I only feed it every other day, and I don't feed it probably the nice food that they're giving their dog. I feed the dog the cheapest food I can find at Menards. Dog food. Maybe I slip the dog some chocolate, which dogs are not supposed to have chocolate. And I give the dog no attention the whole time they're gone. I just ignore it. I leave it in its kennel. And I don't show it any attention, no care. What would that say about my love, both for the dog, but also for the Orcuts. Something is seriously broken, right? But imagine the flip side of that. What if I welcome this dog into our home, which, which would be a miracle, if you know me. I welcome this dog into our home, and I treat it like one of the family. I allow it to sleep in the bed with us. I feed it the finest food, the stuff out of the cans, right? Like real meat. 
And I give it so much attention. I take time away from work so I can just be with the dog all day. We go for walks and runs and we play fetch. We just have a great time. What would that say about my love for the dog and by extension, my love for the Orcutt family? I want you to know how God expects the elders to care for the church. I want you to know how God expects the elders to behave, even if that means that you look at me or one of the other elders and you see a gap, right? A gap between what God expects and the way that we're behaving right now. I want you to know what God expects, even if that gap exists. I want to own that gap this morning. This text makes me especially mindful of my own sin and weakness and failure. I want to own that gap so that you remember I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I am also a member of the body. I am your brother. And while it is my privilege to serve you regularly by preaching God's word, I am not the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. So let's look at him together. Does that sound good? We live where life is hard. We live in the last mile of God's redemptive plan. We should not be surprised by suffering. On the contrary, we should prepare for suffering. Life may get worse before it gets better, as Dan taught us last week. So since we live with increasing uncertainty about the future, God gives the church elders. And he charges the elders with the care and the oversight of his people. And so the church should follow leaders who serve like Jesus. Back in chapter 1 and verse 1, we saw Peter introduced himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And you've probably noticed that he hasn't said much of anything else about himself throughout the whole letter. And yet now, as he begins the end of his letter, Peter does share a few more biographical details, and they are in verse number one. I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Now, in the original Greek language, scholars will tell us that the word fellow that you see there before fellow elder, that word fellow also belongs with the other nouns that are in this verse. So Peter describes himself as a fellow elder, a fellow witness, and a fellow heir, a fellow sharer 
the ESV says, a fellow partaker in the glory about to be revealed. Elders. Make some eye contact. Elders. Peter understands the responsibilities and the pressures that come with serving God's people. He is a fellow elder. Isn't that comforting? He was an eyewitness to much of the life of of Jesus, and yet here it seems best to understand this word fellow witness like one who would give testimony in court. Peter understands the anxiety you feel when you have an opportunity to share the gospel, to be a witness. And Peter understands the guilt you feel when you act like you don't know Jesus. He is a fellow witness. Peter is enduring suffering like many Christians during this period of history. And he is, like those other Christians, also expecting more persecution to come. But Peter remembers this road of suffering will lead to glory. And so he considers himself a fellow sharer, a fellow heir, a fellow partaker in the glory that is about to be Revealed. Peter doesn't elevate himself above the church. He says, I'm right here with you, church. I'm your fellow elder, your fellow witness, your fellow sharer, your fellow heir in the glory that is about to be revealed. I know life is hard, I know the suffering seems relentless. I know you want to quit. But Jesus is about to be revealed in all of his glory. So what does Peter say? Don't stop doing good. And whatever you do, don't stop believing in Jesus. By not elevating himself above the church, Peter sets an excellent example for elders. Elders should follow, not just Peter's example, but Jesus' example. We read about this in Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. The writer of Hebrews says, we have a high priest. And he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. In every respect, he has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Faithful elders do not elevate themselves above God's people. Faithful elders do not put themselves on a pedestal. Instead, you will find faithful elders... Right there among the sheep with God's people. Why? So that they can know them? So that they can love them? So that they can 
serve them. Church, you should follow leaders who serve like Jesus. Look again at verse number one. I exhort the elders. And then in verse two, shepherd God's flock among you. Exhorting. Exhorting is probably what happened in some of the homes this morning. There was strong encouragement to get yourself out of bed. Kids, it's time to get up. Come to the table. Come on. Put down those toys. Come on. It's time to eat breakfast. Now it's time to get ourselves into the car. If we're going to make it to church on time, we have to get going. Do you hear the tone? There is this encouragement, this appeal, this urging, this pleading, maybe even begging. That's the word exhort. I exhort the elders, shepherd God's flock. The church does not belong to the elders. She belongs to Jesus. Jesus purchased you with his own blood. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, church, now you have received mercy. You are part of God's flock. The church belongs to Jesus. I wonder, are these words true of you? Are you one of God's people? Are you part of the flock? Do you belong to God? Or are you still sort of on the outside of the sheepfold, kind of peering in, hanging out with Christians, but not yet part of the body of Christians. Dear friend, what are you waiting for? Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Have your sins forgiven. Receive the grace of God through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus. Be part of God's people. Become part of his flock. Come under the care of the elders. Grace City Church, God delights in you. And he provides elders for your spiritual care for your growth in godliness, and for your perseverance in the faith. Elders, according to the Bible, are faithful men who are entrusted with shepherding God's flock. Look again at verse 2. Shepherd God's flock among you. Not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. 
Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Peter's exhortation to the elders, shepherd God's flock. How should elders shepherd? They should shepherd overseeingly. They should shepherd with oversight. Their shepherding should be marked by overseeing God's people. Now, maybe being shepherded doesn't sound so bad. But you hear that word, overseeing, and maybe something inside of you kind of rises up and you're like, well, I don't really know how I feel about being overseen. I got enough people looking over my shoulder. I'm not sure how I feel about the elders of the church also overseeing me. I think there are two ditches here for us to avoid. On the one hand, there is the ditch that says, there is no authority over me. I'm going to do whatever I want. No one's going to tell me what I can and can't do. And on the other other side, the other ditch is some kind of authority. I'm going to put it in quotes, okay, air quotes. Some kind of authority that is domineering. Authority that is bossy and overbearing and demanding. What kind of authority is culture known for today? What kind of authority do we want to have here at Grace City? Biblical authority does not mean bossing people around. And biblical submission does not mean being walked over like a doormat. So then how do the elders shepherd overseeingly? How do they shepherd by exercising oversight? What will that look like? Children, I wonder if you are familiar with this situation where you are cleaning your room. You do clean your room sometimes, right? Okay, so you're cleaning your room and your mom comes in and she says, you are cleaning too slowly. This is taking way too long for you to get this room cleaned up. If you do not get this room cleaned up by the time this timer goes off, then you will not have dessert after dinner tonight. Whoa. Sometimes mom might do that. She's trying to help you move along a little quicker. You should obey her. You should obey her. But... I wonder how this would make you respond, right? It doesn't seem like you're going to start cleaning more quickly, willingly, does it? It seems like you might do it begrudgingly. Because you feel like you have to, because you really want some dessert. Peter says, elders, 
Don't oversee God's people begrudgingly. Don't oversee them because you have to. Duty is a poor substitute for joyful, willing oversight of God's people. Peter makes a second contrast. He says, elders, don't oversee God's people greedily. May God protect us from an elder who leverages the church to grow his sphere of influence. May God protect us from an elder who leverages the church in order to grow his own career, who would treat the church like a stepping stone to get himself to a bigger, better church. May God protect us from that kind of an elder who would oversee greedily. If an elder is greedy, it better not be for cash, right? An elder better be greedy for opportunities to serve. Here's the third contrast Peter makes. He says, elders, don't oversee God's people domineeringly. Don't lord it over them. Don't boss them around. Don't be overbearing. Instead, Peter says, you elders be an example to the flock. An elder's example is far more eloquent than his best sermon. Whether the example that the elder gives is good or bad, it's sort of irrelevant, isn't it? What a sobering thought. Elders oversee, not by the strength of their personality, but by the consistency with which they set an example for the church. Elders are not CEOs. Elders are not to be the big men on campus. Elders are not managers of the church. Elders shepherd by overseeing. They gather the flock together by proclaiming the gospel. They feed the flock by teaching and preaching. They defend the flock from error and from adversaries. They pursue sheep who wander away. They lead the flock, mindful of its health and the pace with which it can move forward. Look again, 1 Peter 5 and verse 2. Shepherd, as God would have you. Shepherd, as God would have you. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
elders, shepherd as God would have you. Shepherd like God is watching, because he is. A day is coming when the church will no longer need her elders. Why? Well, because we will all be under the perfectly loving, graciously good, and eternally secure leadership of Jesus. I hope I'm alive when Jesus returns, Grace City Church. You know why? Because I want to point right to Jesus. And I want to say, there he is. That's the chief shepherd. Let's all follow him together. But until that day when Jesus returns, the scripture instructs us to relate to one another in a very specific way, and we find it in verse 5. In the same way. In the same way. If you've been with us through the First Peter series, then you can probably identify these words. The ESV says, likewise. You can flip back through, through these last couple of chapters. People are to submit to the government as unto God, mindful of God, conscience of God. Slaves are to submit to their masters. How? Mindful of God, under God's authority. Wives are to submit to the loving, shepherding leadership of their husbands. How? As an act of worship, in the same way, mindful of God. And here Peter uses that phrase again. Elders and church together in the same way. You who are younger... Be subject to the elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter quotes right here, this ending portion, God gives grace, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter, Peter quotes this almost word for word from Proverbs chapter 3, it's verse 34. So, in a very real way, these are not Peter's words. The Holy Spirit inspired Peter to include these words in his letter, but words that were already written down in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. What might this teach us? What might it teach us that Peter sees fit to lift these words out of Proverbs and drop them here into 1 Peter? I think we are intended to notice that in whatever place 
And whatever time God's people find themselves, in whatever circumstances they are living under, whether those circumstances are are favorable or awful, whether persecution is increasing or decreasing, or whether we're right in the middle of of the, the hotbed of persecution, wherever God's people are, and whenever God's people are living, God's people are to be marked by humility. All of us, elders and the church, we all need more humility. Humility means dependence on God. It means obedience to his word. It means submission to his will. Humility means willingness to suffer for doing good. Humility looks like eagerness to serve one another. We need humility to own our own sin and weakness and failure, even when it's hard to do so. We need humility to admit what we don't know. We need humility to outdo one another in showing honor, even when we disagree. We need humility for dealing with disobedient children and overbearing bosses at work. We need humility in our marriages and our missional communities. We need humility in our friendships with co-workers. We need humility to serve our neighbors, to love orphans and widows. We need humility so that we are more like Jesus. This is what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humility is so vitally important, and the text tells us why. Because God opposes the proud. But those who will humble themselves receive His grace. Grace is what enables the church to persevere in faith. Grace enables the church to endure persecution. Grace enables the church to thrive for the glory of the Lord Jesus and the advance of his kingdom. Do we need more of that grace? Oh, we do, church. How do we receive it? We receive it by humbling ourselves, clothing ourselves with humility, being known as the type of people who are humble.
Brothers and sisters, the elders of Grace City Church are weak, broken, imperfect examples. When we fail, when I fail, and you are on your way to lovingly correct me, while you're on your way to do that correction, which you should do, would you also remember that Jesus will never fail you? Don't be easy on the elders' sin because we are elders, but I encourage you to forgive us. Be gentle with our weaknesses. I wonder if you would also continue to give our wives and our families some wiggle room. Serving the church is pressure like a drip, 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 that'll never stop. Our families need grace. We are going to let you down. We may not always look like Jesus, but church, we want to. We want to. We want to be faithful. We want to set good examples for you. Peter is not preaching to the choir here. Perhaps you've noticed that the word church isn't even in 1 Peter. Very likely the churches that he is writing to are not yet well established. The, the people are just beginning to come together and to form churches in Asia Minor. And so Peter's letter may represent the very first apostolic commissioning for elders. And it's so interesting that this is a region that as far as we know, none of the apostles ever visited in person. But... This part of the world became a cradle for Christian doctrine for the first 400 years of the church. And by the second century, churches were flourishing in Asia Minor. It seems that these foreigners by faith took Peter's message seriously. They must have clothed themselves with humility because God showered them with such sweet grace. Elders, will you take your place in the long line of godly men who serve his church like Jesus? And my brothers and sisters, will you follow the elders' example as they point you to Jesus? Let's humble our hearts together right now so that 
we may receive more of God's grace. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit being with us. Thank you for the forgiveness that we know because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for, that for those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. That even the sins that we have committed already today have been washed clean by the blood of our Savior. What sweet grace is this? Father, would you please help us? Help the elders to shepherd your flock by exercising oversight that is willing and eager and marked by setting faithful examples. Father, would you please help all of us to submit to one another in humility, to recognize our need for one another, to move quickly towards one another. Help us to be mindful of our own need of grace. And please cause humility to flourish in our hearts so that we are receivers of more and more and more of your sufficient grace. We are grateful to be your children. We are grateful to be brothers and sisters in the family of God. Would you please keep us faithful and humble until the chief shepherd appears? It is in his name, the name of the Lord Jesus, that we pray, giving thanks. Amen.